Welcome, friends, to um, today's Truett Church Network webinar. We generally do these on our own, but we are grateful today to have a partner organization with us of Buckner International and Faith Fosters Texas. Uh, Dr. David Ummel, the director of Faith Fosters Texas, is with us today. Um, our guest who will do most of the heavy lifting for us today is Dr. Steve Reed, professor of, Old, or professor of scriptures with a focus on Old Testament at Truett Seminary. Uh, Dr. Reed has done a couple of these with us through the years, or through the months, rather. It feels like years. <laughs> but uh, Steve, we're glad you're with us today. David, we're glad you're with us today. Thank you guys for taking time to do this. Thanks I, for this. I will brag on Dr. Reed for a minute. Um, we could brag longer, but I'll take just one brief minute. Um, his webinar that we did on... Um, Healing and Disease in the Old Testament, or Disease in the Old Testament, is uh, our, uh, other than Beth Moore, um, our wide, most widely watched webinar on YouTube, on podcast, on the live webinar that we have done. And so Steve's a bit of a celebrity in my world. And um, you, you didn't beat out Beth, Steve, but you did really, really good. Um, <laughs> and that, that was a great discussion if you want to look back on it. Um, I want to start this morning and just, uh, I've already introduced David and allow David just to share a little bit with us about Faith Foster Texas and the work Buckner and others are doing there, and then we'll get into the content of our discussion. Thanks, Matt. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is David Ummel, and I work for Buckner International. I've been with Buckner since 08. I came out of a local church background, um, and they came to Buckner then, uh, and really, um, in 2018, I was approached about leading this multi-agency initiative, and really what we have in Texas are a group of agencies, faith-based agencies, uh, Stitch Ministries in Beeville, uh, Children at Heart in Round Rock Story Foster Care is their foster care uh, division of that. Of course, the Baylor School of Social Work, Truett Seminary, Texas Baptist, Department of Family Protective Services uh, that, that have a, a similar opinion of the fact that the faith-based community is the solution to the foster care crisis in Texas. And we are in crisis. We are, uh, our foster care um, uh, ministry at Buckner is constantly looking for churches to come alongside uh, to be a part of what uh, we're trying to do in recruiting and training and equipping foster families. We believe that there is a biblical mandate uh, for the church to stand in the gap uh, for these children. And we want to help you uh, to help the church and equip and empower and engage the church to be able to fulfill that biblical mandate. And so that's really what we're trying to do. And, uh, and so we're just so thankful to partners like Truett who can come alongside and provide this type of subject matter expertise. But I just want to encourage you that uh, if your church has any interest in this at all, I'd love to have a conversation and see how we can best at Buckner and, and these other agencies, how we can best to serve you. And so I'm not going to take up a ton of time because I got a little a little pre uh, preview of what this is going to be, and I want Dr. Reed to have as much time as possible. So, Matt, thank you for uh, for letting me be here. Well, you you this was your idea. You approached me with it, and I appreciate uh, you reaching out. Um, like most things great in Texas, this began some of our partnership, Truett's partnership with it began over breakfast tacos. And uh, uh, here in Waco, when David was in town and we started dreaming about this, and we're thankful to be a, a very small part of it, but a part of it. Um, 
Okay, let's turn to the subject at hand. Um, Steve, we again are glad you are with us. Uh, what we want to talk about, what David approached me about helping put something together on, is the role of scripture in, in healing of trauma, um, of those who have experienced various uh, types of trauma. And I think that's what most that are tuning in today uh, are here to listen to and learn more about and be part of the discussion. Um, I thought we might begin just by maybe addressing the elephant in the room. Um, many who have experienced trauma uh, communicate or, or would say that scripture or at least portions of scripture can be maybe a hurdle to their healing at times or perhaps even a trigger to what they have experienced as they read perhaps scenes of trauma in scripture or any number of things. Um, you know, both as a pastor, Steve, and as a theologian, a student of scripture, um, how would you respond to that? Uh, well, good morning, and thank you, uh, Matt and David, for this opportunity. Uh, the way I would respond to that is first ask the question, what do we mean by scripture? And John Webster, in an interesting uh, book called Holy Scripture says that scripture is God's self-revelation to a believing community. So we find something about the very nature of our God as compassionate. And so we really want to begin with that, that scripture is not meant to be just sort of a postcard, but it is meant to provoke something. And so that when we talk about self-revelation of God, we're not just talking about an event, but we're talking about a transformation of us. Uh, David has already talked about the biblical mandate uh, for widows and orphans and sojourners. One of the interesting things is, as we read the biblical text, it keeps bringing back uh, the call, that biblical mandate, to care for widows, orphans, and sojourners. Now, one of the things to keep in mind is that much of the biblical world assumes that we can take care of folks in our clan, in our tribe. But the God we serve says you need to extend beyond your clan or your tribe. And so that biblical mandate is care in both places. But I don't want to get away from, from uh, your question, Matt, about what do you do with troublesome passages? Because there's some inconvenient passages in, uh, in Scripture. Or at first, they seem like they're inconvenient. One of your challenges uh, as you uh, read Scripture is to navigate between three things, apathy, empathy, and triggering. Apathy is when you read a text and you just don't care enough about the people to even pay attention to it. Uh, in Exodus 1, the Pharaoh has talked about the execution of all the, all the boys. And often people have heard that text so much, they don't even pay attention to it anymore. It's going to show up again in Matthew when Herod makes a similar move. But there's little, little emotion about that. Uh, so your goal is to have some sort of felt sense of, this is awful. However, 
if it goes to another point, it can become triggering. And I think that's part of what, what you're, you're pointing to. For us as leaders who help folks navigate their biblical reading, one of the ways I like to talk about this is say that God has given us a self-revelation that helps us read our life not only in its celebratory times, but even in its traumatic events. Uh, and so we have um, the infertility issues described in Genesis and in 1 Samuel uh, with Hannah. We have the suicide in 1 Samuel uh, 31. One, once I, I preached on uh, 1 Samuel 31, the suicide of Saul at a church in Reno, Nevada, and people said, we've never heard a sermon on suicide before. We didn't know you could even talk about that in church. Part of what scripture does is it enables us to talk about the sorts of traumas that people have been through. But on the other hand, it sometimes can trigger folks who say, oh my goodness, I'm reliving these sorts of challenges today. Um, I had uh, someone who had been in the armed forces and we were, as we were reading uh, Joshua and she was reporting out the story of Joshua, she just burst into tears because it just triggered for her memories of, uh, of warfare. And so this is something that we have to be attentive to. And in some sense, I would encourage every Bible study leader to have a strategy of what you do if someone does get triggered. One of the things I now do in my classes, I give students permission. If a passage is triggering you and you need to give yourself some space, we understand if you need to leave the room, we, have, we, we can handle that. Um, but it's just one of the strategies. Uh, but our goal is never to have apathy as a way of getting rid of the challenge of trigger. I don't want to natter on, so I, uh, does that get it what, what, you, what you wanted us to talk about some? Yeah, that, that's helpful. So apathy, empathy, and triggering. Yeah. And we probably, many of us <laughs> at various times are on a, a pendulum swing as we read. And the goal is to somewhat have that, the healthy empathy in the middle of that. Um, and, and strategy to deal both overcoming apathy on the one hand, um, but not allowing the triggering to cause us to flee from scripture either and flee That's from God himself. Have, have you observed other so, I mean, one is, as you said, in a Bible study setting, classroom setting, allow someone space and time to get away from the group to recover, to process what they're feeling, what they're thinking. Have you observed other strategies that are helpful, maybe for someone going through that, if they find themselves expectedly or, or probably unexpectedly um, triggered by scripture in some way? One of the things that I think helps in the classroom is just slowing down. I'm, I'm struck by how much we try to get done in a very limited amount of time. And so when we talk about um, Rachel and Leah, 
and the sort of sibling rivalry and the politics of infertility. Uh, one of the things I try to do in class is just sort of slow down and help people take time to think about the role of infertility in antiquity and today. Uh, and how and, and remind them that for a number of folks in the congregation, this could be a triggering issue because infertility issues have not ended uh, in the biblical period. And so just talking about that uh, and slowing things down and giving uh, permission for folks to share as they want to, but to also not share as they want to. Uh, helps them uh, navigate that uh, a little bit more effectively. Um, one of the things that we also encounter is um, just the, the level, every semester we go into Judges. Judges is just full of violence. <laughs> I mean, if, if Judges were a movie, it'd be a Quentin Tarantino rated R movie. Uh, and so, Part of judges is it wants you to say, ew. And if you don't get a sense of abhorrence in reading judges, then you've just watched too many bad movies. Mm. Um, so you want it to have an edginess to it, but you want folks to start to think about how that edginess helps them be aware of their own sense of compassion. One of the challenges we have as people in today's world is we see so much violence, we see so much that we are invited to apathy. And so the biblical story can slow us down and move us to a, a state of empathy. Slowing down, I like that. It sounds like too, you're pointing us to beyond particular stories, instances, um, even chapters uh, to the the redemptive arc of scripture, of a God who is revealing himself to us, a God who suffers with us um, in what we're going through, um, which kind of is a helpful turn, I think. So where do we go then? I mean, if we are looking for scripture, we're not just now overcoming the obstacle of some of the difficulty of scripture, but where do we go to for, how do we use scripture as um, a tool for, for our healing? Um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. One of the ways to use scripture as a tool for healing is to make the move that, that you've already modeled for us, Matt, that move to look to what in the story of God helps us interpret our stories. And uh, just in a very quick way, you have an interesting book by uh, Rowan Williams on uh, Christ, the heart of creation. And part of what Williams argues is that Christ is there at creation, just as we hear in John, the opening of, of the Gospel of John. But he reminds us that that Christ is the same Christ who is crucified. And so that the trauma of crucifixion is embedded in the DNA of creation. And so as we try to think through our recovery, our solidarity or God's solidarity with us is that God 
too has experienced trauma and that God is big enough in some sense to help us move through the trauma that we have experienced. Uh, we can see this in the literature. Just think of how the passion narrative uses the Psalms of Lament. Um, and Mark, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, a quotation from um, Psalm 22. So we, we do have already those sorts of things going on and how trauma uh, and disaster gives uh, rise to a new world. One of the things that's happened in biblical studies is there's a new appreciation of how trauma really shapes literature and response. And so, uh, whereas Walter Brueggemann talked about the costly lament, the costly loss of lament and the importance of lament, uh, now you have more folks talking about the role of trauma as, we, as an interpretive key. David Carr has a, a book on uh, the Bible is basically coming out of trauma in its uh, process of, of canon. Uh, my colleague, Rebecca Pohays, is doing interesting work on uh, trauma and historical psalms. Uh, so we have a lot going on now about how reading the narrative and reading the poetry help us work through um, some of the psychological and theological challenges of trauma. And, and it's worth mentioning, I think you and I and David talked about this as we prepared for this, that for many pastors, figuring out how to help their people read scripture well and deeply in informative ways, thinking about triggers of scripture is likely a very new skill they're having to develop. You know, they likely weren't trained and how to do this, even how to, to think that scripture would trigger people. And so maybe we should have been ahead of that curve, but that is something. This is a this is somewhat new for many pastors, many for me, and thinking about having to think about that more intentionally every time I preach, every time I teach, as we do daily Bible reading, you know, in church or anything like that. It's something I think a, a healthy pastor now needs to account for, which is new. I, I think probably even in the classroom at Truett or at any classroom, this is a relatively fresh thing that we're still figuring out, isn't it? Thank you, Matt. That's, that's a great observation. When I started teaching, I could walk through judges and, and uh, the more horrendous the story, the more uh, students would respond and say, wow, we never knew that. Um, and now when I think through judges, I have to think of, okay, now how do I come at this not to have someone just really uh, break down and have to leave the room? So it does require uh, a whole new set of strategies. And one of the things that's going to be uh, important for us to consider as leaders is often the folks in our congregations or in our classrooms have not read a lot of scripture. And so it's not like they've seen this text before. Uh, and so if you were to ask them, well, what are the biblical narratives? They would say, well, uh, God created a world. We weren't so good, but God helped us a bunch of times. 
Uh, we were enslaved, but God helped us. And there is sort of a tendency in the church to gloss over the particulars of the story. And so you need to help folks who, some of whom are unchurched and have never even heard the story. And then they start to pull out details that uh, most of us have just sort of over the course of time not paid attention to. And that's going to be one of the things that every leader of uh, Bible study needs to pay attention. That some of your folks have read these texts and are in some sense inoculated. Some of these folks have never read these texts and they get the hives. And you've, you've just got to be prepared because either thing could happen. Yeah, and you've got to do that all at once <laughs> in yeah. front of a group of varying, varying si various size and often on the fly. I mean, that's the, the difficulty of pastoral imagination, but also some of the deep joy of pastoring is in those moments when you, you know the Spirit is moving in and through you and you are utterly reliant on the Spirit of God to give you words and wisdom. But, uh, but healthy preparation can help that. Healthy preparation, and one of the things I often do, I, I do this one in my church classes, I do it in my, when I'm doing Bible study in churches, we always begin with prayer, mm. and in some sense, uh, that just sort of models an openness to the movement of the Spirit, which makes the um, struggle with trauma a little bit, uh, I don't want to say easier, but it, it makes it a little less isolated. Uh, so prayer is one of the is one of the strategies I use, um, and sometimes embodied in the prayer can be an awareness of how the text may be triggered. That's helpful. That's very helpful to remember. Well, the reading of scripture is educational, but it's always ultimately formational, and sometimes we can. Scripture can be too much about education, information, just kind of getting through it, whatever it is, uh, particularly in many of our churches when it's an education program. But ultimately, it's always an encounter with the living God, um, which should be bathed in prayer. Um, boy, I could go a long time on that. But I, I want to transition us in our last part um, to maybe look at a specific text or give us kind of some more practical handholds. We've dealt with some obstacles. We've kind of got into how this can be done and some good framework for that. But, but would you have a text or kind of some practical handholds on how one could read a passage um, in such a way as, as to facilitate healing? Um, well, one of my uh, favorite texts uh, is Psalm 13, uh, which uh, has a number of questions. How long, O Lord? Uh, and one of those is, will you forget me forever? Here, what you can do is you can use the structure of the song and the questions and to provide you a certain rhythm. And then just the process. You know, it, it's a, one of the things that often happens in churches is we read text so quickly. We lose the emotional. How long will or would you forget me forever? How long will I have anguish in my soul? How long? That's when you're asking those questions, you don't ask them that quickly. You know, um, for those of us who have come back from illness or injury, uh, you don't ask 
the question of how long in a very quick, short way. Yes, how long? And just allow the folks to say how long. And then to just sort of walk through the dramatic and liturgical elements of the passage itself. Um, will you forget me forever? I, I remember that in, uh, in this Psalm, what does it mean when God would forget you? For many of us, we've read this and we've just never paid attention to what that verb is really getting at. Uh, but it helps us think about the role of memory and trauma and the role of God's memory in trauma. And so basically when it comes to how to come at this, I largely just sort of follow the poetry and let the poetry of the Psalm really give space for the community to say, oh yeah, we have been there. Now, one of the challenges once you do that is some of the Psalms work better than others. And here's what I mean by work better. Psalm 55 says, I could live with this from my enemy, but this is from my friend. Psalm 55, a passage often used in domestic violence situations where they're talking about domestic abuse. Um, and, it, and in some sense, an unresolved psalm. So those are some of the, the ways I get at often just letting folks talk about the text itself. Now, when I do that, I invite them to talk about the text, not to get lost in the history of the text. Sometimes when we want to distance ourselves from trauma or feelings, we want to get into, well, that the early, the early writers who we don't know, we don't really care about, they must have done such and such. That's fine. And, you know, there are books and articles and you can, but for most transformative work, you're going to say, what's the text do? And I, I think that'll, that'll get, you, get you through most of your circumstances. So it's not about reading more. It's not about studying certain texts and perfecting them or even memorizing them. All of those things are fine. You're, you're advocating what would be like an emotive experience. Um, I know when I would teach people to read scripture who are coming to scripture fresh when I was pastoring would say, man, sometimes you just you just hang on a phrase and you may not work past like a how long, oh Lord, you need to tap into your feelings and the dangerous feelings, the scary feelings um, and hang there for a while. And that's the beauty of the lament psalms that they well, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think all of them that I remember, though, this is not where my <laughs> my degrees are in. Um, start in lament, but in, they end up in a place of acknowledging God as God. Um, and, uh, and it says something big for scripture that those are canonized, right? I mean, that, yeah, that is worth saying. It says something big that even the, the scary and troubling depictions aren't glossed over and are of life are there and are part of God's revelation. They're in the whole plan. Um, but there is this larger arc of redemption forgiveness, grace for, you know, fruits of the spirit and other things that are there as well. But I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, Matt, you, you brought us right back to the, to the beginning. 
Yeah. We begin yeah. with the God. God reveals in the text. And lo and behold, we learn something about ourselves and about God in studying the text. And that freedom that perhaps some of our upbringing or, or some churches and pastors don't allow us the freedom or encourage us that there is no feeling, no doubt, no pain that can't be brought to prayer, brought to God, brought to scripture. Um, and it's all there <laughs> in scripture. We'll find it there um, and also find, well, we'll find Jesus there, I think is what we'd say. Is new, even an Old Testament professor like yourself, Steve, would say um, that Jesus meets in, this, uh, in those moments and um, there's almost a bold dare on our part to trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit to work in our life. If that's not getting a little too right. <laughs> pietistic, I, I, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly where we're going. If you're going to talk about healing, then you're going to have to talk about the work of God in the Spirit. It, it's, uh, it's fine. We do a lot of cognitive stuff a lot of in our head stuff, but at the end of the day, it is what God does uh, in, the, in the human heart that transforms. And so we just try to make things available in that, in that venue. And it should go without saying, I think for those who know Truett, who know Steve, who know us, that what we're not saying is this is the only tool of healing or that this, you know, precludes counseling, medication, I mean, any number of other wonderful tools out there, but that um, scripture shouldn't be discarded as not part of that healing process as well. Um, I, you know, I, I assume that goes without saying, but it's worth saying as well. There are a lot of tools in, involved in this overall. Um, well, you know, this has been fantastic. I mean, Steve, David, any final thoughts or things that maybe, you know, in, in the busyness of conversation you might oh i didn't say that i'd like to say that or something else you want to bring out any final thoughts well dr reed i was wondering if you could um and i, and I think you spoke to this but in, at buckner you know we've seen primarily children you know families and children that um but especially children in foster care they struggle with this idea of you know a loving father uh, I told you the story of those teenage girls. We were at a camp setting and they're singing the song, Good, Good Father. And they just went into meltdown because that triggered in them something, uh, a memory of because two weeks previous, what their father was doing to them was not good. And so, but, but as, they, <clears throat> as they struggle with that, and, and you really touched on this and it's something that I so greatly appreciate is giving people space for the struggle uh, to give them, you know, because so bad we want to go, no, 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 that's not right. You know, there is this loving father and there are these things and you know, God's grace and love. And, and we so want to, you know, we want to be right and we want them to be right and whatever, you know, uh, but in those Psalms of lament on that last passage where it, it flips, but you, O Lord, you know, we don't know how long it took to get from the first part of that psalm to the second. And so we don't know, but, but yet we read it in one passage and in, in, in our uh, instant, you know, culture, we want it all to be fixed right now. And so I just love what you talked about, about giving people the space uh, to, to suffer and, and to hurt 
and, and use, but to still use scripture to that, even though for a while they may have an incorrect or incomplete view of how it all works, but that's okay because, you know, because of what's happened. That's a, that's a, a great point, David. And, you know, it reminds me uh, surprisingly of a New Testament story. Um, the prodigal son. You know, the time the prodigal son spends just sort of wandering is a necessary time. Uh, and in the Old Testament, the wandering period, 40 years, uh, I think Deuteronomy says it's an 11-day walk from where we, we uh, the Sea of Reeds to Jordan, and it took us 40 years to get there. It takes time. And so we need to give each other the grace of time as God has given us the grace of time to struggle through these texts. Well, y'all, thank you again for your time today. Those uh, that have followed with us today, we appreciate you tuning in. Um, we will be launching more of these discussions uh, over in the fall as we get back going. And I, when we planned this, I did not realize our uh, colleague, Dr. Poe Hayes, was working on uh, trauma in the Psalms specifically. So I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, Rebecca, but we may be ex extending an invitation uh, for you to follow up this discussion and help us take it um, another step. Um, David, would you have a final maybe prayer and blessing for us? And if anybody there's a lot of pastors on here, those involved in church and various on staff and various forms would like to get involved in um, working to care for foster families, foster kids, and or be foster parents themselves, um, how they can get in touch with you. Certainly. Well, you can reach me at uh, my email is dummel, D-U-M-M-E-L at buckner.org. And like I said, I, I work in the church engagement department. I've been in operations. I am a, we are, we are here to help you uh, fulfill that biblical mandate and support uh, where your church has felt called, whether that be internationally or domestically, wherever it is your church uh, feels called to, to engage vulnerable children and families. We want to, uh, to see if that matches up with what we're doing and we can help you fulfill that. But thank you again for this it's just been a phenomenal discussion. And I'm so glad to have heard it and have been a part of it. And let us pray as we dismiss. Father, uh, your word uh, speaks to every situation, Lord, in times of joy and in times of grief. <clears throat> but God, sometimes there have been just unspeakable things that have happened uh, to people. And God, in that time, I pray that you will, will let your word come in a very healing uh, fashion and manner and speak to those who, who need uh, that specific word, that, that you will just uh, wrap your, your people around them to support them and to be a part of the healing process. And Father, that you will shield them from, from, those, um, from those triggering moments, God, that you will just uh, but you will use that to strengthen them. And, and, and God, in the end, that you will be glorified, that people will know you more, and that know that, that you know what it is to suffer and to have experienced trauma. And so, God, we're just so thankful for your word that it is complete. It is a, the complete revelation of you. 
but Father, that it is, is still living and active in our lives. Thank you for this time. I thank you for these uh, that are represented, uh, these participants, that you will bless their churches and that you will just use them to shine your hope into some very dark places <clears throat> where you have where you have placed them for now. And God, I just pray your blessings and your encouragement on them. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Dr. Rummel. Thanks again, Dr. Reed, as always. Thank you all for joining us. Have a good rest of the day. Goodbye.